from the KUAM Podcast Network, this is Arlene Live with conversation on island issues facing Guam and the Northern Mariana Islands. Now, here's Arlene. Hoppa day, this is Arlene Steffi. Yes, hoppa day to you too. Okay, so let's begin. Today is the 17th of April 2018 here on Guam, and that would be the 16th for you in Maryland, is that correct? That is correct. So, Lee, I am aware of your story through your daughter, Mira, and she and I were speaking one day about you and some of the moments that she remembers so proudly, and she was mentioning a cultural uh, activity that you participated in with the Bellum Baltusen. And so I was very intrigued by her comment. I said, you know what, I need to interview him, because that's when I found out that you were also a professor at the University of Guam. And of course, I'm also interested in how you got to Guam and any of your earlier developments in your life. So let's begin. Okay, my name is uh, Lee C. Salawada, and uh, my parents were Doris and Chet Salawada. And uh, I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, and, uh, you know, lived there most of my early life. I did the usual things um, growing up. I was able to uh, really had a a great experience because growing up, my parents told me that I was always drawing, always drawing on things, probably things I shouldn't have been drawing on. (laughs) And I always remember... At Christmas time, they always gave me papers and pens and pencils, and so that's really, I think, that was the first inkling that I had that I really wanted to do this. And uh, after, well, after I finished high school, I was able to get accepted to the Cleveland Institute of Art. I thought maybe I needed some direction and some focus so that I could improve my skills. So I was there for two years. But it just wasn't for me, and so I decided to part part ways and thought to myself, well, what's what's next for me? Mm-hmm. Give me a minute here. When you say that your parents from a very young age encouraged your drawing, could you tell us what it's like to have that natural gift to be able to draw? And how is it that you, as an artist, view the world, Lee? Well, um, for me, and maybe it's this way for most people that, that have that that talent or, or that gift. I call it a gift. It is a gift. And uh, I never had, it was never a problem for me to draw something. I could look at an apple, I could look at a tin can, I could, and I was able to draw that. And don't ask me how, but it just... It sort of just comes out. You see and, it in uh, your head, and you know how to replicate it, huh? Yeah, you you, you visualize it. And sometimes you, you go the extra step, and you may add a few other things. Mm. So, so dimension has always been something you see. 
Yes. Um, visual, the visual acuity for me is, I see things that when I'm talking to people, sometimes they didn't see what I was seeing, or they were seeing things a little bit differently. I was looking at things maybe a little bit differently. So that's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but. When I see an apple, I see a circular uh, fruit, and I see the natural indentations of where the stem comes out. How do you see an apple differently from what I just described? Well, for me, I'll look at it and I'll see where the shadows are from the light source that's sitting on a picnic table. There's textures there. I, I see the indentations and little notches and scratches in the apple, and uh, it's just a different way of looking at things. A lot more clear. Actually, uh, there was a, a little story here. When I was in second grade, there was a TV show. It was about opera. And so I was really excited about that, so much so that when I was uh, in, in Holy Rosary School, you know, Sister Veronica left the classroom. I stood on my desk and I started singing opera. And uh, consequently, my musical career ended rather quickly when Sister Veronica came back in and said, get off that desk, you know. So I guess by then I drifted more into art, I guess, so. So you are a person who likes to express himself then? I do, uh, not overtly, but I think I like to get inside people's heads and kind of communicate with them. And I just enjoy hearing their stories, mm -hmm. hearing what their life is like. And Which, is, know, which is what I do. <laughs> well, some people call that nosy. But uh, I think that's that's okay, too. Well, if you're not interested in other people, then that's a pretty dull life, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's... Yeah, that's pretty self-centered, really. That, yeah, that's a good point. I, I'd rather know about other people than spend time on me. I, I fascinate in the variety of differences and in the interest mm -hmm. factors and... And in how, and a lot of the problem solving, I love listening to how people solve problems, how they get into mm -hmm. them, and then how to solve problems. What is it that you do right now, Lee? Well, right now, um, I'm working as a contractor with the uh, diplomatic security for the State Department. Oh, okay. And uh, what we do is we provide uh, training to all the special agents. Um, that are responsible for guarding diplomats. What sort of training do you provide for guards? What we do is we provide classroom training, um, and we also provide hands-on training um, that deal with uh, weapons handling, how to, you know, driving, just different ways of being able to protect that individual or individuals that are going on uh, different diplomatic missions. Okay, so how is it that mm -hmm. you teach them communication is for these people who guard diplomats? Our agents, our people come to us really, really skilled. They're, they're, they may come from previous military backgrounds or other law enforcement backgrounds, but they're very, very focused, and that's what we 
try to hone even more hmm. because there's a cultural part of being an agent in a in a foreign country. So those are some of the things that we have to to look at too, is just to get in get in and understand them to understand some of the challenges they're going to have. So we have classes that that deal with. Um, how to handle yourself in different situations. And also the agents go to uh, language school for several months, almost a year. And then they go to that country and they're there for a while. And then they'll come back for retraining. So it's a cycle. So they have to be immersed in the language of the area they're going to go? Yes. Oh, very interesting. And when you talk about a cultural adaptation, what sort of cultural awareness do you prepare them with? I can't say too much on what what we really do. Let's use Guam, because you're familiar with Guam. If you're going to send a security agent to secure a diplomat that's coming to Guam, give us an example of some of the things uh, that you would be making them aware of when they come to Guam, knowing the multicultural environment that they're going to be in? Well, first of all, they would get some background about what the situation is, of course. Uh There there may be a, a time where they would go what we call in advance, and there, it's usually a team. It's not usually just one one person, but two people. Sometimes it's three. Okay. But in the case of Guam, there would probably be contact with the local with the local um, government officials there mm-hmm. to get to get an idea of what what the environment's going to be like. Where are the venues going to take place? What kind of security is at the venues? Mm. What uh, what's the agenda? There's a lot of give and take, back and forth. Yes, I am familiar when a president travels, but not so much a diplomat. I've never had an experience dealing with a diplomat. I imagine that the security is just as important and and attention is given to the safety of the diplomat. That's very true, and and good security is what you don't see. That's right. And it's vital not only for the diplomat, but for the local people I, I saw. For example, here on Guam and in Saipan, there really isn't a huge political divide. Um, we were both English-speaking countries. One is a commonwealth, the other one is a territory. Right. And so we're not foreign in that regard. Uh, even if there is, is some you know, uh, resentment and there are some activists that exist in both islands um, who are very mm-hmm. vocal and, and very strong against the military movement, you know, and it's their right in the United States, you have the right to speak up, which is what makes the United States so different from other countries. But I don't think that it's a high level of security for any of these diplomats that come to Guam, or say even for that matter. Uh, yeah, like I said, it depends on who they're going to be meeting with and right. um, and, and who they are. Yeah. If it's a cabinet member, well, they'll have secret service. If it's, right. If it's, if it's a, another individual that's with the government, then they may have the diplomatic security. Yeah, it depends on the itinerary, too. Mm-hmm. So if, they, if they stop for gas and go, you know, and then that's pretty much... Yeah, most of them do stop for gas and go. 
uh, to the resentment of many of the people of Guam, you can imagine, which confuses me sometimes because it's like, do you want to see him or do you not want to see him? You, you know, I mean, why are you upset that he didn't stop when you give him the impression that you don't like him, you know, kind of thing? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. How did you manage to get involved in this kind of work from professorship? Uh, you have such a diverse background that I'm, I mean, it sounds almost like you're a restless soul. <laughs> no, well, you know, I think because of my art background and it, it enabled me to, to think creatively. I went to a great school in, in Los Angeles and I learned how to plan and just take things, you know, very, very systematically. And that's carried over in some of the things that, I, that I've been doing uh, now. I've been doing a lot of, I, I had my own business for a while and I, it, basically I was doing a lot of work for different companies and even the government. Mm. And I, my, my degree uh, from San Diego State, I went to San Diego State got a master's degree in instructional design, which is, you know, a systematic way of designing training programs and presentations and so on. So it's just a, part of the art kind of helped me out because we do uh, pamphlets, we do brochures, we do interactive video, we do um, all kinds of things to, you know, get the message across the best way we can. So my art background played a big part in my career. Are you able to say what company you work for? Yes, the the, comp the contracting company is called All Native Group, ANG, and they're a um, company in Nebraska, and it's a um, American Indian owned company. Okay, okay. I, are you American Indian in any way? No, I'm uh, I'm Polish. You're Polish, okay. And you reside, yes. you know, you mentioned something earlier. You said you were born in Pennsylvania. Yes, it was Erie, Pennsylvania. Erie. How close is that to Lancaster? It's a quite, quite a distance. Uh, Erie is located in the northwestern part of the state. It's way up there. And okay. it's right on the edge where Lake Erie is. Oh, okay, so, okay. So going to Lancaster, that's probably a little drive. Yeah. You know, my husband was born in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I find it really interesting that many of the people that I've interviewed over the years are born in that state. That I don't... Right? Well, it was one of the early states, you know. One of the 13, right? The 13 colonies? Yeah, eventually, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just find it very interesting that a lot of people have their origin in that state. Yeah, that and I think Maryland, Virginia, um, you know, this whole area on the, on the East Coast is pretty pretty settled. I mean, they've been we've been here for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is Arlene Live, and we've got more coming up in just a moment. 
From broadcast sales to marketing and public relations, from newspaper columnist to talk show host, sound challenging enough for you? Not for Arlene Live, who went on to be president of an advertising and marketing agency, then a newspaper managing editor and an investigative reporter, all in just 20 years. Now she's back as an ethnographer and oral historian. And you can now find Arlene Live Monday mornings on the KUAM Podcast Network. Tune in and learn the oral histories of Tautano, the people of the Mariana Islands, and the Palawan and Rafalawish people of Micronesia. She's personal. She's local, straight up, and so much more. She's Arlene Live, now on the KUAM Podcast Network. Now, more Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Is San Diego State the school that you made reference to about being in a, ve- a very good school? Well, it was a good. It is a good school, and the other one I went to. That was before I got to uh, San Diego. That was in Los Angeles. That was the Art Center College of Design. But that's the one that you said you went to because you thought you needed some formal training, but it wasn't for you? No, the first one I went to was the Cleveland Institute of Art. Oh, I Cleveland. I I would say it was good, but it wasn't wasn't as disciplined as I thought it would be. Mm. But when I got the information about Art Center, I was very excited because I liked the program. The programs were really, really focused. And um, at that time, I corresponded by, you know, we didn't have email, you know, so I, it was everything was, was written down. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I was, I'd like to go out there. And um, I got my portfolio put together and sent it out and I got a letter of acceptance, and I was very excited. And I also got a letter from the government that looked like a draft notice. And uh, <laughs> so I decided it was time for me to join the Naval Reserves. Lee, why did you think when you graduated from high school that you needed formal training or more rigid learning for art? Well, when I was in high school, I, I had a great art teacher, too. We had a great program. I went to um, a um, technical school uh, that when you went to a, a technical school, you you could take, you know, auto mechanics, you could take uh, cosmetology, you could take a lot of, you know, hard skills kind of things. I took commercial art. Hmm. And from commercial art, you know, you there are... Um, objectives and there's you know there's different kinds of elements that make you get organized and 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 I thought that was that, that was really good and the program there was was really good hmm. but I also wanted to get some other experiences uh, beyond just getting my high school diploma and getting my you know, certificate in commercial art. I mean, there's more to it than that. Sure. So I decided Cleveland was close by. It wasn't that far. And, and they had a very good reputation. And it is a good school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I 
felt that I just, it just wasn't for me. It was one of those things, well, I don't know, I'm just not getting, I, I mean, I kind of know how to do some of this stuff already, and mm-hmm. so I just want some other experience. And I, I met somebody at Cleveland Institute of Art who who went to Art Center, but uh, they they had to leave because the, the family was moving back to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And he, this person talked really highly of it, and talked talked you know talked about the programs and really really learned how to draw and really learned how to hone the skills that are important and, mm-hmm. and you know make them better. That's what I thought I needed, and it was what I needed because it was a very it was a great school and um, I just uh, really enjoyed it. If as an artist you're looking at your future. Why commercial art, Lee? Well, commercial art is is based on advertising concepts. It's based on illustration. It's based on photography, in a, in, in a sense. Uh-huh. So those are things that you get paid for. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> but when you go out into the world and you say, "I'm a fine artist." Not not fine, you know, not fine in the sense of you know being really a nice person. Yeah. So a fine artist is is a person that develops their their work. They come up with some some ideas. They try to get into the get into the gallery scene, and uh, and they can be quite it can be quite lucrative, but it can also be it can also take a long time mm-hmm. to uh, get accepted. It's a feast or famine that, uh, method, right? It can be, yeah. I, I was, I was lucky though because when I was, well, let me go back a little bit. I, after I graduated from art center, I, I got my BFA in uh, in art, but at the same time, that's when I had to, you know, do my naval reserve right. duty, and so um, I had to do that two years waiting. I'm, now I'm in Long Beach waiting to get my orders and. It says, "Well, you're you're going to Guam," and I said, "Okay." So I went to the library and I looked on, I looked at a, a map to see where Guam was. I mean, I kind of heard about it, but I wasn't really that familiar with it. So I said, "Well, okay." Um, then about a month later, I was I was in Guam and it was two thirty in the morning. Landed at the airport, and uh, that was the darkest place I've ever seen. <laughs> After being in L.A. all that time, with you know, L.A. never shuts down. It's, it's, it's right. like 24 hours a day. So. Right. That impression in the past of being the darkest place on earth had a lot to do with the fact that it wasn't quite developed and we didn't have a lot of streetlights and you landed at the old international airport and it was yep. very different at that time. I, 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 and I remember getting into the Jeep because I got a ride to uh, the Naval Communication Station. So that was dark all the way out. I mean, dry was all it was dark. But the next day, the next morning, it, the light was to me the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. You mean the sun? The, you mean the daylight? Yes, the daylight. It was just it was like pristine. It was it was it was beautiful, and uh, it just caught me. Just I don't know. What was it that got you? It was just the feeling. It was just the, you know, the um, the air, the light, um, 
just the, the colors. And remember, I came from L.A., so, you know, we, we had, all we had were those big, tall palm trees, you know. Well, L.A.'s, LA's pretty gray compared to, to Guam. Yeah, it, it, well, that's what I noticed. And I, I really, 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 I said, well, this is kind of nice, you know. Um, yeah. Did you draw in those early days here? Yes. What did you draw? I did. As a matter of fact, I, uh, when I was still in the Navy, I, I, I had an art show. Oh. And, uh, and I had my first TV appearance uh, because I was at, uh, I was invited to talk about the art show. So I, I went to the TV station. I, I believe it, it's still KOAM, I would think. I don't know. It was KOAM, but it was when it was in ORDOT. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember who the hostess was, but she was very, very, um, she was very good. She was asking me a lot of questions. And and then, um, but I, like I was on active duty, so I, I, I just had to play it down a little bit. But but I did have the, uh, the, uh, the show. It was really great. A lot of people came and. Uh, I met I met a lot of people and uh, so yeah I mean it was it was kind of exciting and while I was on Guam that's when I got um, a letter from Art Center and said you know we'd like you to think about participating in the master's program. Wow, wonderful and invitation! I said, I said sure. I, I when I get when I get stateside, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll stop in. So but in between me. Getting to Art Center, um, apparently they had sent a letter to my folks while I was en route. And so when I got the letter, um, I, I opened it up and it said, that, well, you've been awarded a graduate fellowship. Wow. So I said, oh, well, that's pretty good. And, uh, of course, my parents were very happy because they didn't have to pay for anything. <laughs> but... Uh, which they would have, by the way, but but they didn't have to, and that made me feel good. Yes, of course. And that was yeah, that was a great experience, and that's where I started to get ex, you know get really um, interested in um, the um, the paintings of uh, by Gauguin and some of the other early artists. Oh. Um, the impressionists were. I was just going to ask you, who are some of the artists that have inspired you? Yeah, um, there was a there was a group of artists there early in the early expre- in the expressionist movement in the in the twenties and thirties. Well, even before that, this this group was a little bit before that. But it's called the Blue Rider Group, and um, they their whole emphasis was on nature, the you know the rhythms of nature, as they used to say. And uh, I, I really uh, was just really influenced by, by that group of artists. What is the name of the group? Uh, the Blue Rider, the Blue Rider group. I'm sorry, I can't make out the other word. Oh, Rider, R-I-D-E-R, Blue Rider. Rider. Mm-hmm. Why did they name themselves the Blue Rider? Well, they were. It was a German. They were a German group, but they were they were a spinoff of the main of the main expressionist movement at the time, and the German expression would have been Blaurider. Oh, okay. So everybody, well, back here, we always said, "Oh, Blue Rider." That's what because that's what it meant. 
you know, loud blue. Mm. So, but why writer? That that doesn't. It's not clicking for me. One of the artists in that group, his name was was Franz Mark, and Franz Mark loved horses. I see. And he, all of his uh, work was a stylized, almost an abstract um, rendition of, of horses. Huh. So, and then there was uh, another artist that is still one that I really, really liked. Was his name was Vasily Kandinsky. He was he was a Russian artist, and um, I, I I liked his his whole style. It was it was abstract. What is your style of art? I would say it's somewhat it's a kind of a neo realism, but it's it, it's kind of abstract in a way. Okay. But my when I was on my master's program, I. I was really very, very focused on on nature. And then because I was in Guam and I got back in doing my master's work, you know, Guam was a big influence on, on me. I did a lot of research on, on you know, the islands and uh, especially the mythologies and all the things that were part of that, of those cultures. Uh-huh. And, and But I'm going to stop there and I want to go back a little bit before that. When I was still in Guam, I was I was also doing research. You know, I, I was I was a professor at the University of Guam, and I was talking to students. And then there was a grant. We the, the university got a grant, and we were, we developed a course called People in Their Society. It was for a lot of different students coming in from Palau and different different places coming into Guam. When when they got there, they they were very um, different. They were very unusual, but they were very, very creative and expressive. And you know, they they talked about their mythologies and their rituals. And I'm going, wow, this is this is really kind of great stuff. <laughs> and, and so then I really got excited about that that uh, emphasis that that they had. And then I was able to start thinking about, I was reading the Guam Recorder and I was reading some of these other things and I said, well, wait a minute, there's this, there, I'm reading about this instrument and, and, but I don't know where, where can I find this, this instrument. I mean, there was some articles about it, but then what, what happened was I, I decided to, there was a, what they call the uh, National Endowment for the Humanities had a summer seminar for college teachers. So I I wrote my proposal to them and said, I really want to explore some of the uh, cultural things in, in Micronesia and mm-hmm. specifically in Guam. And so I was awarded that grant to spend time at uh, New York University. So when I got back... I kind of bumped into some people, and we were talking about this instrument and so on and so forth. And then that's how I got connected to the people that um, we got together as a group, and we actually went and produced this Bellum Baltusian. You made a Bellum Baltusian? Well, I can explain how we did it. 
Don't go away. There's more coming up with Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Middle of the ocean, but this paradise is teeming with people with all sorts of amazing abilities. Benita Baby was nothing but hair accessories. <laughs> I had some little barrettes um, that we were making and headbands, our little like knit bow headbands, and that's all I started out with. And I decided shortly after you know I had been sewing for a little while that I was going to put it out there. Whether it's artists who create visual masterpieces, creatives inspiring others, people who compose and perform moving pieces of music, athletes taking their game to the next level, or entrepreneurs coming up with innovative solutions, there are a ton of folks here doing incredible things with their gifts. And I want to introduce them to all of you. Women, not just guys, women could come in and feel like they're there to train, they're going to be taken serious, they're, they're not going to be hit on by dudes, yeah. they're going to have their own space. You know, I mean, they're going to be respected as just another practitioner of of this martial art. I'm Jonah Gancharfris, and I invite you to join me on the KUAM Podcast Network for Fistful of Talent, where I sit down with people discussing their visions and dreams and sharing the secrets of their success. In the avenues of, of, you know, being in the creative life and then what's, what's the next thing. Just subscribe to the KUAM Podcast Network on SoundCloud iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher platform, and prepare to be amazed. That's Fistful of Talent each and every Friday. Thanks for listening. And now, let me get you back to your show. Now, back to the conversation with Arlene Live. Wonderful. Before you do that, are you saying that you stepped out of Guam, went to New York, learned about the Bell and Botuzen, and then came back and actually created one? No. Okay. What did going to New York have to do with anything? It, it basically had to do with the for the humanities grant that I that I got to study um, in New York. Uh, on some of the traditional, um, I would say, you know, dancing, storytelling, group performances, some of the things that we did in the, in the people in their society grant that, that we got on Guam. So I said, then I, I saw that there were some musical things and so on and so forth, and then I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but then when I got back, that's when I began to get familiar with, well, there is this, this instrument here, and it, it seems kind of intriguing to me. Uh-huh. And I didn't know much about it, but I, the more I looked, I, I started to get some indication that there was something there. And, uh, well, there was. And then I said, well, I, 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 think, I think we should try to document this and find out who's doing this. Uh-huh. And get this down so it can be preserved and, and people can see this. So I'm going to speed ahead now. I finally got together with one of my students. And at the time, her name was um, Carol Ibanez Diaz. So one thing led to another. And we said, okay, well, um, 
I think I can probably see if I can get get a grant and, and get a, uh, some um, help from the Insular Arts Council. And um, but we said we want to do this the right way. This this I don't want this to be commercial. I don't want this to be any kind of you know money making scam. Um, so we got together and um, we decided that when first of all we 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 finally identified um, the the two gentlemen who were were playing the the instrument the yeah. Bell and Baltujan. So it was Jesus Chrysostomo and uh, Manuel Kichocho. Okay. And Kichocho was from Jonia, I believe. Yeah, I think he was from Jonia. And uh, he was an older gentleman at the time. And um, I think Chrysostomo, he was from, oh, let's see, I can't, I'm trying to think. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it'll come to me. Was but, he from uh, the South? Oh, I think so. Okay. I think, I think he probably around that area. Yeah. Okay. So you sought them out. Yes, with the help of Carol, and we wanted to we wanted to make sure that they would be comfortable. We didn't, we didn't want them to be scripted. Okay. We wanted them to to be themselves, and we 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 got a project team together. We got Tom. Unsog, he was a camera person at the TV station, so he we he was we had him to do the video. I had a video camera, and I took and I could take stills as well. And then we also got a hold of this person. Her name was um, Anisha De La Cruz, and she was from Saipan, and she was fluent Chamorro. So we wanted these guys to talk. In then in 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 tomorrow because obviously what they would have felt more more comfortable and and they I think they they really appreciated that mm -hmm. and it was the very first time that they had met hmm. so all these years they're playing this you know the instrument but you know they never met so they got to get so oh I'm now we're doing the project now but prior to that. Um, we had to come up with the script and come up with um, the proposal for the to get the grant, and so I was doing all that legwork because I was I, I was familiar with how the Insular Arts Council works. So I was the one that I said, "Well, let me do that. Let me do the uh, the project director work, and then I'll let you guys focus on on how we can get this thing put together." Hmm. So. <clears throat> we we got the project team together. And then we got the grant, which was great, and um, proceeded just to go take it one step at a time. And one of the things that was important when we did the video, we we did a we, we there was three parts to the to the video. It was a kind of a meet and greet where they met each other. They talked about their experiences with the Bell and Baltusian, and um, it was it was quite quite nice. Mm -hmm. And then the second part was construction of the Bell and Bautujan. They both 
built their own vellum baltugin, and we we documented that. So they so they have their they have their own, but they built another one in the project for the project. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so we could show how how it was done. Okay. And they both had their little style of doing it, but it, it was similar, but it was a little different. Mm -hmm. And they talked about the wood and the, you know the 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 the, uh, the wires that they used, and it was it was it was really really quite interesting. And then the last part of the video was they played together. They actually sat down and they played together. The music of the Belen Baltuzen is a twangy um, mm -hmm. sound, right? But it but there is rhythm. How do they make the rhythm? Uh, with the the little, they had this little stick. And what they would do is they would lift the strings, and then they would be tapping the strings with the with the uh, with the little stick. It looked like a chopstick, and they just were you know they just had a rhythm to it. Hmm. So were the were they making up the rhythm? Were they were the ones making it, or was there already an established way to play it? You know, like like you would a uh, guitar. The Belen Batuzen has only one string, correct? Correct. It's a one-string instrument. Okay. So they when they were playing when they when they played it, they 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 would take their hand and they would lift the string. They would lift that one string up and down, up and down, and they would move their hands a little bit, and then they were they they would use that that um, small stick to get the different tones. Pretty interesting. Now, would they move their hand? Like in a glide up and down the neck of the Bellambaltusen to to achieve a different sound. Yeah, it was it was very very subtle, but uh, yeah, they were they in in the video you, you can see it. You know, okay, it's it's pretty good, and also that that video is in the Micronesian Area Research Center. We'll have to get it. I'm a research associate there. Yes, I I I made a, I made it a point just before I left Guam, I. I, um, a dear friend of mine who no longer is around, Ed Gould. Um, oh yeah. Who I worked with at the university. Yeah. He actually delivered that for me. Okay. Yeah. And, Ed uh, Ed has since uh, passed away. Yes, he he has. Yeah. He and his he and his wife both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So but, when uh, you yeah, I worked with him. So what else? What else happened in the in the video? What other um. What are the requirements needed the grant to meet the grant? I had to put a proposal together with costing, um, and we had a, a schedule to to meet. Um, I can. There was some pushback, but I think we made um, I we made a, gr a good case for it. It was, it was a it was a good proposal. I mean, we won the proposal, and we were able to get these guys together. And it was really great. They met when they met. They talked about, um, you know, their experiences and their knowledge of how to make one of these things. And they both came to some agreements about the type of wood. And all this was this was being discussed in the in, in the in the video. And uh, I, I got to give it to, to the to the project team. They um, Anisha Dela Cruz was she asked the, the questions and. And we, we we didn't have any set questions. We didn't we were not 
we didn't want to um, coach them or you know have them scripted in any way, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So no no prompting or direction on on our part. We shot it as we did it. Uncontrolled documentary. Some sometimes it's called ethnographic filmmaking. Exactly. But it was documentary style. They yep. did it. They did all that all that they wanted to do. We just shot, just shot and shot and shot. And they were good. I mean, um, they talked about that. They they were talking about you know getting banalo wood and. Um, it was all interesting to me. I thought it was really great stuff. Yeah. But like I say, the project team, fantastic. Fantastic. Tom, the cameraman, um, just, you know, shot. I also shot video, um, but I was more in the background. I I wanted to keep a distance. I didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, stand out or be in the way. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there was no directing. We just said, hey, oh, go for it. Let's get it done. Exactly. And then we met several times. We we, we didn't do it all in one, one day. This was over a period of months. Uh-huh. And uh, so whenever they were free, we would set up an appointment. You know, Carol would set up the appointment, and then we'd go out where they, uh, where they were. And I think we went to Inarahan at one time, and we, we shot there. Mm-hmm. And um, just a funny story, though. Um, the wives of one of the players, uh, somehow she got wind that, that there were two girls on the on the team, on the project team, and I, I think she was not too happy that her husband was going out to play the <laughs> to play the instrument. So, um, but after a while, she she knew that it wasn't they weren't going out running around or something. Oh, I see. She was concerned. You, yeah, but just kind of a, just yeah, a, kind of a cute story. Sure. The conversation continues now on the KUAM Podcast Network with Arlene Live. Buenas Zenhafede, I'm Lacey Martinez Francisco. If you're hungry or have a passion about everything food, then I've got just the show for you, with me. Each week I bring you Foodie Call, a show about all aspects of how we Guamanians enjoy our cuisine, preparing it, consuming it, sharing it, using it as social currency, and talking endlessly about it. We also profile people in our community who are masters of their crafts in working with food. Whether you eat with your eyes or can't wait to fill your stomach, or if you're a perfectionist about the process, you'll enjoy Foodie Call right here on the KWM Podcast Network. So lock in our show by subscribing to our feed on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, or on your favorite podcatcher platform. And get our freshest episodes delivered right to your device when we're done cooking them. We'll see you then, and we'll make you a plate. The conversation continues now on the KUAM Podcast Network with Arlene Live. You said something, Lee, about pushback. What, what, what kind of pushback did you receive on this project? Um, I think because it was something I don't want to put my finger on it too too 
severely, but I think there was some um, disenchantment that I was the one doing it, but I really wasn't doing it. I was facilitating huh. it to be done because people can talk about it, but let's get something done. Sure. I can tell you how, how this how it happened. Prior to my coming to the university or prior to my coming to Guam, there were some grants that were given out by the Insular Arts Council that were never completed. You know, the arts meaning a project or, you know, some work of art or work of arts or things like that. I, I, I wasn't that familiar with what the Insular Arts did, but I did know that there, were, there was some disenchantment Okay. Because of you know, well, basically they got burned on some of the projects, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I can understand that they had a very, you know, they were very concerned, and I, you know, I, I understood that. But I made it in my in our proposal. I I, I said, no, this is going to be, um, we're going to document. We're we're going to be using, you know, real people doing real things here, and uh, but uh, we we got the proposal, and they they granted it to us. And uh, it turned out, I, I was very happy with how it, how it turned out. Unfortunately, many of the grants in the past, I, I think, had a very similar outcome. And so I, I'm yeah. glad to hear that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that you were not Chamorro, because that would really be bad. But yeah. um, it is... I, it didn't, is I, didn't, I didn't perceive that. Okay, that's good, to, that's good to know. That's why I wanted to ask you that. Because even today, Lee, people get grants, and many of them don't fulfill the grants, which, which, which and, ruins it for others who come to apply, you know. I just want to also uh, point out that I did not get any money for this. I donated in-kind services. Well, I think that's a requirement for the humanities. Um, there's always another part of the granting where you have to provide some in-kind. The point is that you documented a very important historical and artistic form of music mm-hmm. for the Chamorro people, so thank you very much for that effort. Well, uh, you're, you're quite welcome, and I... Uh, I I enjoyed it. I'm very appreciative of any kind of documentation from an ethnographic or oral history point because I'm still amazed that I'm talking to you about this. Part of the problem in our historical past is that individuals like you who come, who live, who provide and participate in Guam's history eventually relocate and go back to your home places. And with you goes this incredible amount of information and historical perspective that wasn't captured. But you captured part of that by applying for this grant and and doing the Bellum Baltugian documentary. Mm-hmm. So I really think that that's important. And, and only by chance did uh, my conversation with Mira extend into this and this is why I'm always on the alert when I speak to people because there yeah. there's always something that that we can capture and telephone and technology today you know allows um, yeah, us this opportunity mm-hmm. right. you said there were three parts of this grant first was the meet and greet second was the construction uh, what's the third uh, the uh, the plane they played 
they played the, the they both played the the Bellum Baltusians together. And and before whom and where? Uh, they it was between them and us. Just for the documentation. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a Just public presentation. No. Okay. Nope, it wasn't. It was uh, after they after they built it. They they said let's play, and we said let's shoot. <laughs> You know, so we got it. What was the satisfying part of this grant for you or this whole process? Being able to meet these guys because no one else had ever met them. I shouldn't say no one else had ever met them, but no, I don't. I don't know if anybody else said, "Hey, let's 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 get this down. Let's let's get this down on 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 on, on some medium so that it's it's there mm -hmm. and." Uh, they they seem to enjoy it, and one of the things that really I I felt were really good about is that uh, Mr. Kichocho invited us to his home. And, and uh, what so did you do there? The team, we went there, and then they were talking about things, and and I think we were shooting there, but I didn't we didn't shoot. Uh, it wasn't like we broke out the cameras. It was I, we, it was a it was a visit. Oh. And I, I, I thought it was better we just kind of uh, low key it, but um, but they were so gracious, and um, and it was very very rewarding for me, and also the pro you know, our our project team, they they I, I got to give it to them. I mean they, if it wasn't for them, there's no way I could, I would have been able to pull this off. Hmm. And um, I'm I was so proud of them. You probably did more for the Belimbautujan artists than you realized because. If I remember you saying earlier, they had never met each other either, correct? Correct. They never met. And yet they live on Guam. Yeah. So you yeah. brought two artisans together, unbeknownst to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. I never thought that. That, but you know, they said that they they met for the first time. They said, and they told us that, and then they uh, they sat and talked for a while and we're just sitting around and did a little bit of shooting when they were talking and then they talked about their, like I said, they talked about their materials and and then they, they said they were talking about, well, I use this wood and, you know, Chris Osmo says, yeah, well, I like to use a bigger gourd and, and they were going into it. They were really into it. So mm. we got that part of it too. So and, the uh, so the hollow part of the Belimbautuzen is the difference. One used a particular wood to create a, a base where the sound would resonate, and the other one used a gourd? Yeah. Um, I forget what they called it. I think it was... Um, they, they called it a box, but it, it was really uh, kind of a dried squash. Okay. Cut in half. That would be so. the gourd, yeah? Yeah, that would be the gourd. So, one, so one man used a plant-based shell, and the other one created a box. No, not a box per se. I think he also had a, a gourd, but it was a little different. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and uh, did it matter? Did it make a difference in the sound? Their choice of their of their box or their gourd? I think it kind of did to me. Okay. But. Um, which is why we got it on, on, on the tape uh -huh. because you can really hear the subtle differences. But it was quite nice. It was different. And then they were they were kind of singing too, which was yeah nice.
What format or what medium did you record these in? Well, back in the day, we recorded it on um, three-quarter inch tape, and we got it uh, bumped up to um, a, um, at the time, it was, it was more of a, a, a one-inch master. Hmm. It was a beta. beta. Okay. I wonder if since we have transferred it and updated it, because technology has changed. Yeah, I would think if if it's still available in any kind of medium, my my next project would be to try to let's get that up to um, let's get that onto digital. Right. And then, and then let's put get it on YouTube. On, and, and get it onto some tablets and get it onto right. access, internet access, you know, for people to look at. Well, that's why I said put it on YouTube and let them play, you know, let them be seen today. I think I mentioned to you when I, in the, in the WhatsApp that I sent you, that the, the PDN had um, a supplement called the Islander. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, dated February 15th, 1981. Okay. And it's titled uh, Bellum Bautujan, Guam's Unique Instrument. Yeah. And in there, um, they, mention the, they mention our project. Is the Bellum Bautujan the only musical instrument that the Chamorro people had? You know, um, I would say I'm not an expert on that part of it, but I would think that that may be possible. Okay. Um, I would not be surprised if it if it, if it wasn't. Mm. I would also probably be surprised if it was if it was other things. I'm going to be interviewing some friends of mine who have, were born into a musically inclined family and you know mm. were and followed the the family's um, gift. And I am not familiar with any other instrument uh, that was mm. used. But we'll right. find out. That'll be part of the search, right? Yeah, it's part of the research. Right. So, so you'll I'll, you'll need to stay tuned to the program, at least in in regard to the podcast, and I'll definitely let you know if it's something that you might be interested in in listening to. I mean, I'm still um, interested in hearing much more about you know what you're what you're doing, but I appreciate the uh, the time that you spent here. It's uh, 10.45 oh, no, in the morning. It's well worth it. Do you miss Guam, Lee? Yes, I do. We, were, we went back in 2004, and um, my, my wife's uh, dad had passed away, so we went back for the, uh, for the funeral. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, we hooked up with Mira again. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I want to go back again. So, I don't know when, but yeah, sometimes. Sure. Now, you you didn't mention that when you came to Guam, you ended up marrying here. I did. Well, actually, um, I got married when I was in California, going to school, art center. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And did you marry a local girl from Guam? Yes, I did. How did you meet? Um, when I was stationed at the uh, communication station, and uh, the um, one of the people that were working there, there was two, 
two office workers, and the one the one girl uh, who was working there, um, that was her cousin. And um, so that's kind of how we met. And then, then, then of course, I had to go back to California. And then, uh, then my my first wife then came back to California. We were married in San Diego, and um, then we uh, parted ways. But uh, you know, that's how things go, and no, no regrets. Mm. So, is Mira uh, the daughter of your first wife? Yes. And what is what is your first wife's name? Her name is June. Maiden name. Maiden name was Bloss. June Bloss. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have since remarried. Yes. Okay. To a, to another girl from Guam. Oh really? And what is her name? Her 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 name is Helen, and her maiden name was Pruce. How do you spell that? Helen Pruce. P R E U C. P R E U C. Okay. So you like you like the Chamorro girls, huh? Uh, yes, I, 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 sure, I sure do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we, we, we have a, we have a running joke here, uh, or it's, a, you know, like a backdoor compliment to many. If you come to Guam single, you won't leave alone. <laughs> That's probably uh, pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, but my, my wife now, she's, um, she's half Filipina. Yeah. And, uh, her dad was, um. Uh, he was born in Kansas, so he was uh, Caucasian. Uh huh. So she's a mix. So it but, doesn't matter when they're in Guam; they're beautiful no, chamaritas somehow. No, all <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed yeah, this yeah. interview. Yeah, and you know, if if you want to follow up, just let me know. Uh, if you want to, I most definitely questions. will. I most definitely will let you know. I'm going to. Um, be seeing your daughter in about half an hour. So oh, you are. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah she's probably gonna, she's gonna grill you as to how I how I did. So oh well, she just have to listen to the show, won't she? <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Give your wife a half a day from everybody here, and hopefully mm-hmm. one day we will see each other face to face, Lee. Maybe I maybe so. I I think that's possible. Yeah. So appreciate it. And again, I'm, I want to thank you, too, for your interest, and um, I, I do appreciate it. Well, like you said earlier, only nosy people gain because they're the ones that make the effort to learn about other people. <laughs> yes, that's, I think you're right about that. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you again, and I'm going to get going here. All right. Have a nice day. You, too. Enjoy your evening. Okay. Adios. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Join her every Monday for a new edition. Log on soundcloud.com slash KUAM news or listen anytime. Scroll down and click on Arlene. We welcome your feedback and suggestions. Email Arlene, R-L-E-N-E at ArleneLive.com. Thanks for listening.